Blog Talk Radio.
Good evening. <clears throat> You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. And, uh, hey, wow. It has been a busy day. Uh, got some news here I'd like to share after the intro. Today's date is December 5th already. Christmas just around the corner, if you will. December 5th. 2011, in beautiful old town Alexandria, Virginia. Looking across my window right now, big open window at uh, the park, which is uh, just across the road from my house. And uh, just beyond the park, just beyond some trees that have no leaves, is uh, the Potomac. And just across the Potomac, I can see the Watergate Hotel. And we're here in the United States of America, planet Earth third planet from the sun. I am not going to be doing the show Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of this coming week. David and G-Ski Rocks are going to handle the show because I will be having my wisdom teeth removed, all four of them, plus another tooth that, um, that they're pushing against. So... I'm not sure I'll be able to speak. So they're going to handle the show for me, and I really do appreciate it. Those are some great guys. And they both have really great shows on Blog Talk Radio. So please tune in, and you, you'll enjoy what they have to say. If, you, if you've if you listened to them, they're, they're pretty cool, and they do really great uh, Blog Talk shows. But I have managed to reach nearly 50. I'll be 50 years old January 1st of next year, New Year's Day. And I managed to get this far without, with all of my teeth, all of them. Uh, and uh, so, uh, but I can no longer keep hold that record. I have several things I'm really, really proud of personally. One of them is that I've never actually ever, well, I've never sampled an illegal drug in my entire life. I've never smoked. I've never drank any hard liquor, just some wine. Tried beer once, didn't like it. But I've never, I don't know what it's like to smoke marijuana, cigarette, or anything like that. I've never, never done anything like that. I almost got a tattoo once, you know, and I was in Oceanside, California as a young Marine. And uh, I was told that we needed to stop at the liquor store and that it was going to hurt. And I told him why I'm too young to drink. I was only 17. And besides, if it's going to hurt, I don't want to do it. That's the only reason why I didn't get a, a tattoo. If if, um, if uh, uh, my buddy had kept his mouth shut, I'd probably have the tattoo for sure. But uh, I've never never done anything like that. And I've managed to get this far with all my teeth. And uh, it's over. It's over on Wednesday. But, uh, hey, enough of that. G-Ski and... And uh, Dave, they are hilarious. Beach Bomb writes in the chat room, uh, do what I did with the uh, wisdom to have. Uh, y- y- uh, ah, okay, put out for 150. Well, wait. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to ha- have happen. I'm going to go to a, 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 a surgeon. And he's going to put some, he's going to knock me, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna give me that laughing gas stuff. And he says, I'm I'm not going to care what happens after that. And then they're going to, you know, do the IV and then, you know, knock me out. 
so that's what they're going to do and somebody's going to be there with me uh and uh and 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 boom it's all going to be it's all going to be done so hopefully we'll see how that goes i've never had anything like this done before never had any dental surgery before so it's going to be interesting and i also asked that i get to keep the teeth i told them i'd like to you know keep those in a in a jar you know hold on to those if i can so I told him to, you know, make sure you, you know, give me those because I'm going to keep them in a little cup or something. Is that weird? <laughs> Is that weird, huh? <laughs> I'm going to keep them in. <laughs> I'm going to keep them in a jar, and 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 when I come back on Monday, I'm going to rattle them around in the jar on the on the show. Oh well, okay. Well, let's get this party started. You know, when we left off last week. Um, Friday rolled around, and uh, I got word that a CEO had sent out an open letter to Obama, an open letter suggesting that the president knock off this uh, class warfare crap. Uh, those were not his exact words, but he put them out there. His name, he's a billionaire, and he's an investor. His name is uh, Leo Cooperman. And he made public his letter to the president, and I'm going to read a little bit of it. If you haven't already read it, and I know a lot of you have, you've you, you've uh, you've you've checked it out, you've dug it, and you know what's in it. But uh, we're going to go ahead and, and read a little bit of it anyway, because you know it should. It, I, I think it speaks volumes to what a lot of um, a lot of CEOs, a lot of a lot of folks are saying right now with regard to uh, President Obama's. Uh, uh policies so um we're going to get we're going to get right on that but first i'd like to preface this with a little bit of uh my girl and yours um uh well like we we want to i'll start off with steve Wynn, and then we'll move on over to the iron lady margaret thatcher and hear what she's got to say cuz it should be pretty cool but hey, check it, take a listen to Steve Wynn and what he had to say just a few months back. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Please do call in. The call-in number is 347-884-8500. We'll be right back. Oh, we're going to stay here and listen to Steve. And it's common sense that's disappeared in Washington, D.C. It's common sense that's disappeared in the years of 7 and 8 in America. And we're inheriting... We're inheriting the awful results, both in our government, or we will shortly, of wild, uncontrolled spending, unbelievable, unsustainable debt. And yet, here we are, doing it again, $20 billion a month to the FHA. On top of what happened to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, we're doing it again today. For $20 billion a month, we're destroying the housing market again under the name of a stimulus, phony, misrepresented names. Will you find common sense in Macau? You're getting a lot of criticism for wanting to move your headquarters there. Will it be? Well, when we say when we say we're going to move our headquarters there, it means that I'm going to spend half my time there, and that we're going to do, we're going to spend more of our focus in planning for Asia from Macau. Uh, when I say we're moving our headquarters, we're splitting our headquarters is what we're doing. Uh, I, didn't see, I, I didn't mean for people to they sort of jump to a conclusion that we're all leaving Las Vegas. That's preposterous. No, but what we are doing 
is measuring our presence in China commensurate with the part of our business that is represented there. And the opportunities that I see far superior abroad than in America. What about the regulation and the government oversight in working there as opposed to here? Macau has been steady. The shocking, unexpected government is the one in Washington. That's where we get surprises every day. That's where taxes are changed every five minutes. That's where you don't know what to expect tomorrow. To compare political stability and, 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 and uh, predictability in China to Washington is like comparing Mount Everest to an anthill. Macau and China is stable. Washington is not. Is there a businessman in, or a media person in America that doesn't think that they don't, that, that isn't frightened about what the next crazy idea is coming from Washington? The financial institutions, the cars, the businessmen, the taxes, the health care, everything is cuckoo, and God knows what's next. What's health care going to cost you? A lot. It's going gonna, it's gonna to produce the exact opposite of what they've said. It's health costs because of that 2,700 pages is going up, not down. In the simplest possible terms, they added 32 million people. The amount of doctors are going down, and the amount we're paying them is less. When demand goes up and the supply of doctors goes down, what happens to the price? High school students out there, children, price goes up. The one thing that would have saved us money, the control of frivolous lawsuits, they didn't touch with a 10-foot pole. Those hypocritical SOBs and the Congress didn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Every insurance company, every businessman in America said doctors are doing testing in fear of frivolous lawsuits that are unnecessary, and it's jacking up the price of medicine. Please do something about that. In Texas, they put a cap on punitive damages, and the, and the malpractice insurance dropped by 45%. In one year... Did they do it in Washington? No. So when you ask me about predictability and uncertainty politically in China compared to Washington, I take China. Washington is unpredictable these days. Washington is no one in the, in the business community from one coast to the other has any idea what's next. And what's even worse, the people that do business with us, that buy our bonds in other countries, don't know what's next. The uncertainty of the business climate in America is frightening, frightening to everybody, and it's delaying. All right, we're back with the C. Robert Jones situation report. I'm you know, confused. Uh, Steve has uh, has come out three or four different times um, with the same um, the same concerns um, about business. And the Obama administration's uh, policies. Now, Thursday, we got word that the unemployment number went down to 8.9% or is it 8.6% or something around that area, 86 Immediately, you know, I'm going to just go out and say it. Steve Wynn, yeah, Steve Wynn. Uh, that was uh, that was Steve Wynn, and that was one of uh, four interviews I have here, and I'm not going to play them all because pretty much Steve is saying the same thing in every interview. My heart sank. I'm going to be honest with you right here and now. My heart sank when I saw that the unemployment figures, the unemployment numbers went down to eight, just a, you know over eight percent. Because for me. 
the unemployment numbers being high would signal the death knell of the Obama administration's reelection uh, efforts, their the reelection chances. High unemployment rate, over 9%, would have almost assured him being 8.6%, would have almost assured that he would be defeated next year. So when I saw the numbers go down, not even Rush Limbaugh could soothe my pain with his suggestion that the Obama administration is massaging the numbers, that there's a conspiracy to bring those numbers down artificially. And even the uh, the fact that the numbers are down because people have given up, they've stopped looking, and thus they're not even counted anymore. You can't count people that don't... Uh, that don't uh you know go into the offices and, and and be counted so you know i was i wasn't i wasn't very pleased with that i was very i was you know and maybe it's a bad thing uh Todd is saying that uh uh eight point six eight point six in dog years he says it's seasonal at best and it dropped from nine point two to eight point eight Last year, he says, and it'll go back up in February, like last year. Well, here's the thing: I don't really, you know, I'm 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 of two minds of it because high unemployment is bad for the country, but then again, Obama's bad for the country too. So what's worse? I mean, if the numbers go down sufficiently to the point where. Uh, Independents uh, begin to have confidence in the president's leadership on the economy because that's what everybody's been saying. Everybody's been saying all these pundits, both conservative and Democrats, are saying it's the economy, stupid. They've been saying that the president's reelection chances hinge on the economy getting better. And even if there's a perception that the economy will be better, then that bodes well. For our current president, and if that bodes, and if, and if his his reelection chances are boosted, when the number does go up, if it does, America will still suffer. America will still suffer. There will be people out there who will want to give this guy a second chance, another chance, and say, "Well, the numbers are going down, so he's doing something right." It's the Congress that's the problem. You know how it's going to go down. So when I saw that those numbers had gone down, I was almost in a pan- I was almost in a panic. I'm going to be honest about it. I was deeply concerned about it. You know, I don't I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm just keeping it real. <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying to keep it. Uh, I don't want those numbers. You know. The, a bad economy is going to get this guy out of here. But a bad economy is bad for the country. Am I wrong? Am I is it weird? I I don't know. I don't know. I I feel bad. I feel bad and I, I feel I feel I feel I feel I feel weird about it because I don't want the country to suffer just to get this clown out of office. But I want him gone. Because clearly he's steering the country in the wrong direction. Now, can somebody tell me that if those employment numbers go down, 
that Obama's chances of being reelected are still pretty damn bad? Indeed. And Todd and, and Dave, Stay Mad Radio, in the chat room, you're absolutely right. It's a serious conflict. It's an interesting problem, a serious conflict. The, the, the duality is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. So let's get to this open letter to the President of the United States. No, no, no. No, no, let's wait. Let's hear from the Iron Lady first. Let's hear from her first. Margaret Thatcher on socialism. You've heard this before, but we're going to go ahead and put it out there, you know, one more time. Because I tell you, she I think she pretty much has it has it had it right uh, when it comes to other people's money. And, uh, you know, with, 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 with the dog barking in the background, still in the yard, I thought I put him away. But he hears my voice, and so he wants to chime in on this issue, too, because, you know, my dog really does have a stake in all this. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we're going to hear from Mar Margaret and try to, you know... I don't know, guys. It's 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 weird. It's just it's a serious situation, but it is. It's also, you know, it's also pretty weird. So uh, let's go ahead and put Margaret in here and see what she has to say about this whole thing. Take a listen. Feel free to call in. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. <laughs> <laughs> The number is 347-884-8500. There is no doubt that the Prime Minister has in many ways achieved substantial success. There is one statistic that I understand is not, however, challengeable, and that is that over her 11 years, the gap between the richest 10% and the poorest 10% in this country has widened substantially. How can she say at the end of her chapter of British politics that she can justify many people in a constituency such as mine being relatively much poorer, much less well housed, and much less well provided than it was in 1979? Surely she accepts that is not a record that she or any Prime Minister can be proud of. Mr. Speaker, all levels of income are better off than they were in 1979. But what the Honourable Member is saying is that he would rather the poor were poorer, provided the rich were less rich. That way you will never create the wealth for better social services as we have. And what a policy. Yes. He would rather have the poor poorer, provided the rich were less rich. That is a liberal policy. Yes, it came out. He didn't intend it to, but he did. I give way to the, the honourable gentleman. I'm extremely, I'm extremely grateful. The, the, the Prime Minister is aware that uh, I detest every single one of her domestic policies and have never had that. And I think that the honourable gentleman knows 
that I have the same contempt for his socialist policies as the people of East Europe who have experienced yeah. it have yeah. it that. I think I must have hit the right nail on the head when I pointed out that the logic of those policies are they'd rather have the poor poorer. Once they start to talk about the gap, they'd rather the gap was that. <laughs> Down here. That. Not that. That. So long as the gap is smaller, so long as the gap oh. is smaller, they'd rather have the poor poorer. You do not create wealth and opportunity that way. You do not create a property-owning democracy that way. All right. So the Iron Lady has it right, or had it right at that time. Liberals would rather... We all be poor, rather there be a class of rich people and a class of middle class people, and then the poorer people. This is how things roll in a free market society. Not everyone can be rich. It's just not going to work out that way. Just like not everyone is meant to go to college. Not everyone is built for college. But the liberals will have have you believe that every single American deserves a college education and they deserve a free education. I have spent time with people at the when I was at the Naval Academy who simply were able to get in through their political connections or political connections of their family, and that was okay. They had the high school grades. They had all the other intangibles necessary to get into the academy. But once they got there, there were certain things they didn't have in order to stay there. They didn't have the will to study, the discipline, all the things that were necessary to maintain their status at the Naval Academy. And then on to Georgetown. Even even there, there were people who dropped out, dropped out in order to go get jobs because they were simply not built for that sort of a setting, the academic setting, the school setting, not that they weren't smart, not that they weren't supremely intelligent individuals. It was the structure of of college that they simply that simply was not a good fit for them. Southern Sense is in the house. I put the dog away so we won't be hearing from him again tonight, even though you know he wanted to have his say as well. But hey, now we've heard from the Iron Lady, and we know that the rich are too rich for some folks. And as Al Sharpton put it, we shouldn't rest until everything is equal in everybody's house. He wasn't talking about equal rights. He was talking about everybody having the same amount of money, everybody having the same things. So when billionaire investor Leon Cooperman made public his letter to the president in which he calls for Obama to end his class warfare rhetoric and appeal to all voters today, Cooperman makes a point. And he makes the point that the president's comments are divisive at a time when we can least afford it. Now, the chairman of Omega Advisors was a one-time Goldman Sachs asset management chief. 
ask yourselves this question. Why would the President of the United States of America seek to divide the nation along class lines, class warfare lines, on purpose? Why would our president do that? Now, maybe it's me, but doesn't that sound like grounds for impeachment at the very least when the president of the United States seeks to divide the country, if not grounds for impeachment, but grounds to just send this guy home? I mean, he's headed now on yet another vacation while threatening to keep Congress working through Christmas. Imagine that. I'm a young Marine officer. I'm 23, 24 years old. I've got a platoon of Marines, three squads plus a weapons squad. So there's four squads. Each squad in the neighborhood of 24 Marines. This is my platoon. Tell my platoon, look, the CO, the skipper's not happy with the way our company has performed. So here's what's going to happen. You guys aren't going home for Christmas. You guys are going to stay right here and work on your on your platoon, your squad, your platoon tactics. And you're going to stay here and you're going to work on it through Christmas so that the skipper is happy with your work. But me... I'm going home to Chicago, and I'm going to spend Christmas with my family, and I'm going to have a grand old time. But you, you can't go. I'm out. Now, mind you, as the commanding officer of the platoon, it's my responsibility to make sure that everybody does their job. But I have put the responsibility on the platoon itself, and I'm off. This is what Obama's done. This is why there's a suggestion, a strong suggestion that there's no leadership coming from this guy. There's no leadership. Remember, he's a politician. He has not had any leadership experience. He doesn't know what to do. It's the perception that he's going on a 12, 16-day, 14-day vacation while threatening for Congress to stay and work. What the hell is that all about? Nobody's begrudging the commander-in-chief a vacation. It's my understanding that they pretty much carry the command center with them, and they're really just kind of working, but from a different spot. But it's the perception. Sure, he's going to be riding that tandem bike with his hideous wife, Michelle. There are going to be pictures of the girls. He's going to be eating a nice ice cream cone. Hopefully we will not have to get a look at him shirtless again. What's the deal with a grown man with no hair on his chest? That, to me, is a sad state of affairs. When you've got a grown man, nearly 50 years old, coming out of the surf, no Speedo, just some baggy shorts, and a chest and a and a and a and a chest like a like a like a fourteen year old boy. 
You know, there's a reason why Vladimir Putin has my respect. I mean, that's a that's a man for you. That's a president. Forget the fact that he's a communist. At least he's a grown man. I would rather see Vladimir Putin riding bareback on a white stallion, shirtless in 30-degree weather, with a high-powered rifle strung on his back, and the carcass of a grizzly right behind him, than to see Barack Hussein Obama coming out of the surf in Hawaii, wearing a pair of baggy shorts, with a chest like a 10-year-old boy. But that's just me. (laughs) I just can't do it. (laughs) Oh, and coming out of the surf, eating an ice cream cone. Or a frosty, tasty snow cone or something like that. What a sissy. But hey, I've had my... (laughs) Let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. Open letter to the President of the United States. Feel free to call in if you have any questions or concerns. You want to chime in, the call-in number is 347-884-8500. Dear Mr. President, It is with a great sense of disappointment that I write this. Like many others, I hope that your election would bring a a salutary change of direction to the country. Salutary. Despite what more than a few feared was an overly aggressive social agenda. And I cannot credibly blame you for the economic mess that you inherited. Even if the policy response on your watch has been probligate, damn, probligate and largely ineffectual, you did not, after all, invent TARP. I understand that when surrounded by cries of the end of the world as we know it is nigh, Even the strongest minds may have a tendency to shoot first and aim later in a well-intended effort to stave off the predicted apocalypse. But what I can justifiably hold you accountable for is you and your minions' role in setting the tenor for the rank raucous, raucous, raucous debate now rolling us that smacks of what many have characterized as class warfare. Whether this reflects your principal belief that the inernal divide between the haves and the have-nots is at the root of all evils that affect our society or just a cynical populist appeal to his base by a president struggling in the polls is of little importance. What does matter is that the divisive, polarizing tone of your rhetoric is cleaving a widening gulf, at this point as much visceral as philosophical. Indeed. Indeed. Does does the CEO have it right? Many of us believe that the president's tone is divisive. When you're the President of the United States, should you be involved in class warfare? When you're the President, you're supposed to be the President of all Americans, every single one of us. The rich, 
as well as the poor. The weak as well as the strong. You're our president. Not just the keeper of the flame for those who are less fortunate, but all Americans. So let's take a listen to the CEO himself and hear from his own words rather than read his letter to the president. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Call in numbers 347-884-8500. And we're going to go ahead and listen to what the CEO has to say. Because, hey, the president of the United States is dividing the country on purpose. He's doing this. He's supposed to be saying, hey, hold on. I'm the president of this whole country. It's not about who's rich and who's poor. It's why we all come together and create jobs. And by the way, it's not my job to create jobs. I'm the president. That's what he should be saying. It's this, It's the, the private market that should be creating jobs, not me. The government doesn't create jobs. It's the private market that creates jobs. Not the president of the United States. This is what he should be saying. But he doesn't say these things. He says those fat cat bankers, at some point you've made enough money, blah, 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 and la-di-da. All of that. It is dangerous. And Todd in the chat room writes, it's really dangerous when both of those are embodied in the same person with power by election. Exactly. But, hey, this is what we've got. This is this is the guy we've got in office right now. And if the economy improves and the unemployment number goes down even further, then the guy might be reelected again. And if he is, some say that we're pretty much done. Some say that the United States of America will cease to exist as we know it. A lot of people are saying that. So many people are fearful of this guy being reelected president. It reminds me. It reminds me whether I like it or not. Of Lincoln's reelection in 1865. How the North and South were both very fearful and concerned that his re-election to the presidency would mean the end of the South as many knew it. It's just that divisive. Except Lincoln cared for the country. Lincoln wanted to see America as a whole prosper. Everyone. There was no class warfare. There was no us against them. But it's a very similar set of circumstances. Now, Obama claims that he is very Lincoln-esque, and he likes to play up that part and play that role. Prophetic? I certainly hope not, because we know how the deal with with my man Lincoln ended. And in fact, Lincoln is my very favorite president of all time. We know how that ended. But this guy, 
He's not about unifying the country. It's all about class warfare. So let's take a listen and see how this all plays out with the CEO. See what he wants to talk, see what he has to say about this deal. Cooperman says the president is deliberately putting the divide between the rich and the poor. Cooperman wrote the president saying in part, it's time for you, meaning the president, to throttle down the partisan rhetoric and appeal to people's better instincts, not their worst. Mr. Cooperman joins us by phone. Good evening, sir. And um, this letter is blistering and blunt. Uh, what provoked you to write it? Uh, thank you for having me, Greta. Uh, I was motivated to write a letter to the president because I'm alarmed at the direction he's taken the country and his inflammatory dialogue. Like most, I love my country. I've lived the American dream. I would like to see the very same opportunity exist for future generations. And I think it's about exceptionalism. It's reward for individual initiative. It's a reward for hard work. You know, admittedly, old-fashioned values. And frankly, what pushed me over the fence, because, I, you know, I'm 68 years of age. I've never written to the president. I'm not too involved in politics. But what pushed me over the fence was the dialogue post the debilitating circus, which I blame both parties, surrounding the debt ceiling negotiation. And, you know, when they finally came to the predictable, the underlying predictable compromise uh, um, and agreement, the president, rather than being conciliatory and healing and trying to bring everybody together and praising them for their ultimate compromise, what did he do? He attacked the wealthy, he attacked the energy industry, and he attacked the private aviation industry. Now, I'm quizzical. What is this problem with private aviation? It's a major source of exports to the United States. It creates employment. And if you check the industry, most of the workers in that industry are unionized, which is his constituency. And he's very I'm fond of and I, and one of my heroes in the business world, Today, Warren Buffett. Friends, Warren Hollywood Buffett has a plane Kim, that he's named the indispensable Jeff. because it's Probably so much in productivity enhancing to his and work. So, you know, it was that, that pushed me over. And, you know, I'd like to see a conciliatory approach. You know, we're in a very difficult economic environment, and rather than create this class warfare dialogue, why could he not just say that we're in a difficult economic environment and all of us, all of us have to do more? I'm willing to do more. I'm prepared to pay more taxes, okay? And he creates this impression that wealthy people don't pay taxes. It's ludicrous. You have a 35% federal income tax rate. The typical state's got state income tax of 5 to 10%. You pay payroll taxes. You pay Social Security taxes. You pay Medicare taxes. At the end of the road, when they lower you into the ground, you pay your inheritance taxes, and which is fine. It's fine. I want to give back to the system. I was motivated. I came from very little other than a good education in the city school system of New York, but I took the Buffett Pledge with the Bill and Melinda Gates because I want to recycle my wealth back into the system. But I just think that the approach we're taking is counterproductive, it's divisive, and I think it's a time for a change in dialogue. Is it, uh, many wealthy people that I talk to say, and I, tell me if this is the way you feel, is it, and I think that, that you want to give back, that you want to help, that you want to see the economy thriving, but that you're, you're a little bit resentful for the Today, class warfare saying that you're not Hollywood paying your fair share, team, that you're somehow a cheat, when in your view that not only do you pay a lot now, but you're willing to pay more. Absolutely. The idea that First of all, I think you've got to really step back and ask yourself, you know, what should the maximum tax rate be on wealthy people? Because they're the ones that pay the majority of taxes, and that's how you size government. So the, the, I don't mind paying more taxes, but I would rather pay more taxes into an efficient system. But that's going in a different direction. Uh, you know, there, there's lots of debate about that. I'm just saying lower the decibel, 
move to the center, try to be one that is inclusive, you know, and, and I don't care what the party is. Lyndon Johnson would have handled uh, these debt negotiations and the aftermath in a very different way than the president has handled it. Are you a Republican? I, look, I voted for Ronald Reagan. I voted for Al Gore. I voted for George Bush. I voted for McCain. I'm more Republican than not, but I tend to vote the issues and the people that run. Uh, um, I'm, I'm a capitalist with a heart, basically. Like I said, I'm, uh, I, again, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not atypical. I'm typical of people of means that have made it the way I've made it. We want to give back. We're not hedonists. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not in any way bragging because I think a lot of people have been more generous than I. But I've spent, I've given multiples to charitable organizations relative to where I've spent them myself, and I'm happy about that. Thank Other than my grandchildren, I get more enjoyment out of charitable giving than anything else. Sir, thank you very much for joining us. All the best. All right. Do you agree? <laughs> uh, you know what? I tell you what. The president of the United States is a divisive person. You see, he came from, his background is about, is about dividing the nation versus the, the rich versus the poor. He's not the president of each and every one of us. He's not the president for all Americans. He's a president for a certain segment of the population. And that's who his his constituency is. It's not those rich fat cats. He seeks to use those people, and they are willing to be and ready to be used. He seeks to use them to further his goal of taking from them, and they're helping him. They're helping him. Screw them. They're like, okay, take my money, and then. Tell me that I'm the bad guy for having money, for being wealthy. Punish me for seeking a good life, for working hard. Punish me for being successful. Take my money and then tell me I suck all to be damned. And I'm a bad guy. Why this guy's coffers are not completely empty in terms of re-election, I'll never know. I won't understand it. If you're going to tell me that I'm a bad person for having money, then you don't deserve to have any of my money. So why is it that so many rich people are giving him money? Is it because they feel bad? Because they're rich? Is it because they're having this – they feel guilty? Why? You know, I understand there is a certain amount of guilt which got President Obama elected to the presidency in the first place. And you know what type of guilt I'm talking about, that white liberal guilt over that whole slavery thing. That's what got him elected president. In, that's what got him elected in the first place. If we can really be honest about it. The thing that got Barack Obama elected to the presidency of the United States was white liberal guilt. The president of the United States, Barack Hussein Obama, was elected due to affirmative action. And we know what happens when we give somebody a job 
that they haven't earned because of affirmative action. They don't deserve it. They're incompetent. Most of the people who get jobs based solely on the color of their skin are incompetent. And I know this. I'm a black man. And I have had my fill of working alongside a fellow Marine officer who who was just horrendous at OCS. Managed to make it to the basic school after OCS, received his 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 gold bars, and was simply incompetent. Yeah, the 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 problem is the young officer gets his gold bars, barely making it through OCS. But because we need to have the Marine Corps had a quota of black or ethnic or minority officers. Somehow, Headquarters Marine Corps saw fit to have quotas in the Marine Corps of a certain number of black officers or women officers. That it didn't matter whether or not you had the necessary leadership skills. Somehow, you made it to the basic school. You got your gold bars. You made it to the basic school. That's when the story was told, when you were pretty much incompetent. I had one young black Marine officer stand next to me during grenade drills where we were learning to throw hand grenades. He couldn't follow the simple instruction of pull, pin, twist, and pull. Count to four and toss the grenade. It's pretty simple. Pull, pin, twist, and pull. Then one, two, three, boom, toss it. He was so dumb that he forgot this sequence. Now, all of you just heard me say what the sequence is. What is it? Pull, pin, twist, and pull. One, two, three, four. Okay, so pull, pin, twist, and pull occurred. He forgot the sequence. Blew his hand clean off and part of his face and an instructor got some shrapnel too. I can't tell you how many times something like this has occurred or or occurred in the Marine Corps because we had affirmative action. We had to have a certain quota filled. Competency be damned. So what we have here on a much grander scale is affirmative action with the president of the United the presidency of the United States. Someone decided or a group of people decided that we it was time that we employed the first black president of the United States. Never mind the fact that this guy had no skills, has no skills, is not a leader is incompetent, has to read from a teleprompter in order to to, to get a point across, can't string a sentence together without one, never mind that he goes on vacation at the drop of a hat, doesn't know how to bring a group of people together, is dividing the nation, destroying our economy, never mind all that. 
it's time to put a black man in the White House. And so many white people out there are feeling good because finally America has gotten over the whole slavery issue. Racism is dead now, right? Because we put a black man in the White House. We can all feel good and sleep safe in our beds now. But just like the affirmative action in the United States Marine Corps and all over the country fails, we've now failed on a grand scale. We've now failed on the biggest stage in the world. We put an incompetent idiot in the White House as commander-in-chief, as the chief executive officer for our country. And indeed, the leader of the free world is incompetent. But it's all good, right? Because we keep telling ourselves that he's smart, that he's so brilliant, that he's the smartest man in the room. And liberals and the liberal media is telling us that the guy is a genius, that he's so smart, that he's so well-spoken, that he's so he can put a sentence together. We did this. All of us did. I did it too. I rooted for this guy over Hillary Clinton. I couldn't stand Hillary so much that I wanted to see Barack Hussein Obama beat Hillary because I just knew that the guy was a moron and he wasn't going to make it past McCain. So I would have rather had him go, Barack Obama, go against McCain in the general election because Hillary was so much stronger than Obama, so much smarter. And that there was a chance that Hillary was going to beat McCain. Boy, was I wrong. And I think a lot of you were too. A lot of you thought that Barack Hussein Obama was a better opponent for, for McCain because Barack Obama was pretty much a liberal that would drive this country down the tubes. And a lot of Americans saw that. A lot of Americans knew that 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 America would never elect a, a pretty much a socialist pre, a Marxist president a Marxist candidate into the White House. Boy, were we wrong! Weren't we wrong? And right now, I would so much rather have Hillary Clinton in the White House than Barack Obama, the lesser of two evils. And I'm just afraid. I'm just afraid that these low unemployment figures will cause some independence to pause, to give pause, and put this guy back in the White House for another four years. Mistakenly believing that we're headed in the right direction. Because the guy is a snake oil charms, a, a snake, a, a snake oil salesman. He is the con man of biblical proportions. Some say he's the Antichrist. I won't go that far. But I will say he is an empty suit. He is a con artist in chief. Remember the series White Collar that is on hiatus right now? Where the guy wears a slick suit. He's handsome. He has a great smile. He talks well. But he will steal your wallet. 
He will steal anything he can get his hand get his hand on. Obama is a classic con artist. It's called the pigeon drop. Tell the person what they want to hear. Sell them. And by the time they figure you out and figure out what you're all about, you're done. He's already in. Many conservatives did stay home, did not vote. They just knew that Barack Obama was not going to win. They just knew that America wouldn't put this guy in the White House, not because he's black, but because he's a socialist. Boy, were we wrong. Weren't we wrong? And it looks like if the employment numbers go down, that he may once again pull a rabbit out of the hat, fool the American people, and get back and stay in the White House for another four years and thus finish the job. I'm deeply concerned about it. America cannot take four more years of Barack Hussein Obama. And I tell you what, folks are saying that Romney is not is just as bad as Obama. I don't think so. I would much rather have Mitt Romney in the White House than Barack Hussein Obama. There is there is there, <laughs> there is no argument here. There are those who are saying Newt Gingrich not is not good for America. Romney's not conservative enough. Hell, any conservative is better than the Marxist we have in the White House right now. So, hey, we're out for tonight. The show's almost over. Thank everybody for coming in and listening. Hey, I wish you guys had called in and tell me what you think. But hey, maybe tomorrow. Remember, Wisdom Tooth coming out Wednesday. Dave will be here. G-Ski will be taking over for me all the rest of the week. Please give those guys your support and tune in. And, hey, we got to help, help them keep the devil way down in the hole. Oh, you're listening to the C. Robert Jones. You've been listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great night. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. When you walk through the garden... You gotta watch your back Well, I beg your pardon Walk the straight and narrow track If you walk with Jesus He's gonna save your soul You gotta keep the devil Way down in the hole He's got the fire and the fury at his command Well you don't have to worry If you hold on to Jesus' hand We'll all be safe from Satan When the thunder rolls We just gotta keep the devil Way down in the hole
Jesus' mighty sword And they'll shield you with their wings Keep you close to the Lord Don't pay heed to temptation For his hands are so cold You gotta help me keep the devil Way down 